All right, we good? Had a couple of people uh, already tell me that my shirt offended them. Um, and it's all right. It just says God always keeps his promises. And so it's just, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like I, uh, I'm offensive. I don't, I don't know what else to say. Um, it's Genesis 9. I mean, it's the Bible. So I just, I just uh, can I talk about it for a second? Is that all right? Because uh, uh, Pastor Sean kind of set me up. Like, hey, I'm not going to talk about it, but Jamie will. Anyway, so um, I, th- I think there are some dangers uh, as the church, and I'm going to talk to us as a church, okay? Can, so if you're a follower of Jesus, you attend Life Community Church, like I'm talking to you right now, uh, we're going to chat, okay? We're going to have a chat. If you're not a follower of Jesus and you don't attend Life Community Church, you can listen in or you can snooze for a little bit. You can go get you some coffee. I mean, you do any of those things, but I'm talking to the church, and I, I think there are mistakes that we've made as the church that I want to talk about. And I'm going to talk about those a couple times because I was raised in the church and I think there's mistakes that we've made. And this is primarily a big subject where we've, we've made a mistake. And the first mistake that we've made is that we've made homosexuality practice a greater sin. And it's not the greatest sin. Pride is. Okay, pride is the greatest sin. Okay. James says, God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So pride is the greatest sin. Okay? So if you're struggling with saying, I'm wrong, I'm sorry, my bad. If you're struggling with humility, all of those things. Pride is what caused Satan to fall like lightning from heaven, as the scripture says. Okay? That's one big thing. Um, and I, I will say God says he, he hates pride. He despises pride. Okay, which I find fascinating that that is what we call this month. But let, let me call it what it is. Because we've taken something that was biblical and we've made it a mockery. Okay? We've taken a, a banner and we've made it a mockery on what it was. Which is a promise from Genesis 9. Okay? And we've called this pride, which, again, is, is a mockery. Second mistake we've, we've made is we've been quiet on this issue as the church. We've been quiet. I will put it this way. We've been cowards. Okay? All of us have been cowards. We're afraid to talk about it primarily because we don't know where we stand or we don't want to offend. I think you can speak truth in a kind, loving way. And not be silent. Because when you choose to be silent, you confirm. Okay? So here's what I'm saying. Revelation 21 is a horrific, hard passage. It's very difficult. And it starts with but, which is hard. Because it's... But cowards, unbelievers, the corrupt... Murderers, the immoral, those who practice witchcraft, idol worshipers, all liars, their fate is in the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. Okay? So, the first people going to the lake of fire are the cowards. That's what makes me nervous. Is that when we remain silent on issues, we become cowards. And this is what the Bible is referring to. 
This is not personal, it's spiritual. We need to hear this. And hear me, Isaiah 5 says it this way. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And here's my biggest issue, is we've become tolerant as the church. We've replaced repentance with tolerance. Okay, this is the danger. Revelation 2, and you can read all throughout Revelation. I know a lot of us skip that chapter, that book in general. If I said to you right now, turn with me to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to spend some time here. If I prayed in that moment, some of you are leaving during that prayer. Okay? Because we avoid Revelation. But Revelation, he's talking. Church, you've done this well. You've done this well. You've done really good here. You've, you've been really good at social justice. You've been really good at this over here. But I have this against you. And what does he say in Revelation 2? He says, you tolerate the woman Jezebel. What he's saying is, church, you're tolerating, you're allowing something to come in that you should not be quiet on. You should not be tolerating. And he says, because you're tolerating it, we we have issues. Why right now are denominations more than any other time splitting right now? Why? Because we've tolerated. Anytime you see tolerance preached, sexual perversion is abounding in the background. Listen to me. We cannot be silent We cannot be tolerant. We cannot be affirming. Okay, we have to be loving. We have to come back to every single one of us is a sinner. Every single one of us struggles. We have to align with sinners. This is a place for sinners. We have to align to that and we have to love. We have to change the perception of how people view the church. Right now we seem judgy. We seem condemning. We seem all those things and we have to come alongside people and say, let us walk with your journey. Let us walk with you in this this thing that's happening in your life. Let us do that with you. We have to always be available. When it says, be at peace with everyone. If it possible with you, be at peace with everyone. What you're saying is, I want to be at peace with everyone. And so I'm here when you are ready to come. We have to be available. And if we're refusing to be available and we're stiff-arming people as if it's the worst thing, we're all sinners. Okay? Don't judge people because they sin differently than you sin. Okay? We have to come alongside people. All right? And this is not going to change. Okay, if some of you in this room are like, I just want to go back to the old days. It's not happening. Okay, it's not happening. Okay, Romans 1 says it this way. Although they know God's righteous decree and his judgment, that those who do such things deserve death, yet they not only do them, but they even enthusiastically approve and tolerate others who practice them. Okay, we cannot be that. There's 31,000 scriptures and not one time does it affirm it. Not one time. Not one time does it tolerate. Okay? And if you want that, then I suggest you close your Bible and you open the satanic Bible who talks about affirming sexual desires all throughout of it. Okay? The, The Holy Bible does not. Okay? So we have to be careful as a church as we move forward that we're not going to be quiet. Okay? And we have to keep in mind, those of you in this room, we have to take responsibility. What one generation has allowed, the next generation has enjoyed and moved past. Okay? Keep in mind, before we easily go, that stinking generation, you allowed it. 
you were quiet. My generation was quiet. We didn't talk about it. And now we're seeing the result of that. And so are we going to be the church? I love the meme where it says, if Paul was still writing letters, he'd be definitely writing a letter about us. Are we going to allow ourselves to rewrite things and change it? Or are we going to just sit back and complain about it? And complaining has not worked. And it will not work. Okay? We have to be that church. All right? St. Paul, St. Paul, all the churches around us, they are not the enemy. We are fighting together. Amen? We're between the St. Pauls. Did you guys ever know that? We're between the Pauls. All right, let's, let's jump in. I'm going to pray. We all right? Okay. Security's at the back. Nobody left, so. Jesus, we love you. God, we want your heart and everything that's happening. And, Lord, we trust you. We trust who you are. We trust what you said. We lean in. God, we know that we've not arrived. We're not, we're not there. We need you. We need you to, for understanding. Uh, we need you to, to show us the truth. And God, we need your help. God, thank you that your promise is that you're an ever-present help in times of need or trouble. And we can come to you. We can lean into you. You have the answer. You are the answer. And so, Lord, help us. Uh, God, not be arrogant. Um, not walk around like we, we've no, we know it all. Like we don't want to be that. We want to, to be the church that, that loves crazy and is willing to walk. But God, we also want to be the, the church that speaks the truth. Because ultimately, every single person that is alive on this, this earth, they want the truth. And your word says the truth will set us free. And so Lord, that is our prayer. For the truth to set people free. In the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Incredible job last week, Pastor Sean and Shelley. Amen? Amen. Amen. I don't know how it is at your, your workplace, but when you leave, you want to be able to know that everything's good. And uh, that's an incredible feeling for almost eight years. And uh, Pastor Sean and Shelley are going to be gone in the next couple weeks taking their sabbatical. That's why Sean's smiling a little bit more. And uh, so they're going to be gone the next month or so. And uh, so pray for the Williamsons as they travel the country and and even a little bit out of the country. And uh, so I'm not telling you where they're going because he's not going to, he's going to answer his phone for two people, myself and his mama. Okay. Right. Right. And that's it. So if you don't get a text message back, don't take it personal. Don't pick up that spirit of offense. Uh, just at this moment, he's ignoring you. Okay. He's ignoring you. And Shelly's making him ignore you. Okay. So uh, I, I am, I am pumped about tonight. I mean, when you bring in bands, you don't know what you're going to get. They send you a writer. Have you, anybody's ever dealt with a writer? It's this list, and you don't know what you're going to get. These guys want certain kind of waters, and they're a little diva. You know, band, band people are always divas. You guys know that? Like band, if you're a musician in this room, you're a diva, all right? I don't know what else to say. You're just, there's just something about musicians. So you don't know what you're going to get. This guy walks in at 7 o'clock in the morning. He's like, I'm here for church, sat in the front row. He's a hugger. Is he in here right now? Oh, he didn't want to do it twice. <laughs> Come to, I mean, he's hugging me. I'm like, this guy's a hugger. All right, let's go. I just, I mean, he's got an incredible story. You get to hear about it tonight. So if you, man, if you don't have anything tonight, it's going to be incredible. And so I'm so pumped.
So pumped. So this is what I do before every season, boys or girls, I, I make a statement. And here's the statement. I'm going to say it to you. I'm going to ask you the same questions. And the statement is this. Who won the state championship last year? Who won it two years ago? Who won it three years ago? Name the top five wealthiest people in the world. Name the top last ten people who won the Pulitzer Prize. Usually most people, like, they got to think about it. Name two people who've shown up in your life when life has been difficult. Name one person who's called you when things have been tough. Which comes back to the ultimate point that the people with the most money and the most influence aren't always the people that you need the most. There's only one team that leaves the field happy. 400 teams have played. Only one team is leaving with joy. That means 390 some odd teams are leaving the field not being winners. If this is the only reason we do this, nope, there's other things. Lifetime of friendships. And this is where Paul is coming from. He's coming from the place of, guys, I can't be with you, and my heart is longing. If you're in this room and you've gone away to college or you've moved out of mom and dad's home and hopefully not still living off of them and you've moved out of their house and maybe you moved to a new city, maybe you've gone to college and gone to a new town, there's this moment, and I know a lot of people won't admit this because they're getting out of mom and dad's house. I can't wait to leave this town. There's nothing to do in this town. You've heard it all, right? And then they get to college and there's this small feeling. Maybe it's a memory where it's like they get a little homesick. And some people handle that a lot worse, and two weeks later, you see them. Some people are not even a weekend. It's like, whoa, they're back. That's happened to people. What is that? It's this longing to be with someone that you can't be with. It's this longing to, of the memories that used to be, and this is where Paul is coming from. He's 200 miles away from this church at Thessalonica who's made a, a complete impact on his life, who he's done life with. And because he's done life with them, he's, he has this longing to be with them. He has this longing, this homesickness feel of wanting to be. I'll never forget when we, we left the reservation the last couple of years and I'm pulling away and Pastor Jackie and we're going to get on the flight. I, I've instantly missed being around that man because I've had so much life experience with Pastor Jackie in Flagstaff, Arizona. We used to share an office when we were in Omaha, Nebraska. We had a kindred spirit. We had a great relationship. And so there was this longing. Every time I talked to him on the phone, we talked about when we get to see each other again. There's this longing to be with him. This is where Paul is writing from. He's writing from this longing that is happening in his heart. And there's, it's this crazy things that Paul is putting into perspective. Look at verse 4. He says, even while we were with you, we warned you that troubles would soon come. And they did, as you well know. Can I just say this? We've done a really bad job as the church at preparing people for life after Jesus. And here's why I say this. And I've always said, man, I wish I was an evangelist where I could just walk in, I could just say whatever I want to say, and peace out. You know what I'm saying? I loved Billy Graham for that reason. Like, I could come in, I get a big crusade and big stuff going on behind us and all these things. But then I'm out. I'm gone. And I'm not saying it wasn't needed or necessary. It's beautiful. But here's what we've done come to Jesus, repeat this little prayer after me. I'm going to give you a little Bible. Probably going to be the new King James because we can't afford anything else. Something along those lines. A horrible gift. Go around. Have, have a good time. You've now accepted Jesus in your heart. You know there's nowhere in the Bible where we're called to do that. But that's a whole other conversation. We ask people to leave. 
and we don't set them up for the trouble that's now going to come. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about, hey, now that you've accepted Jesus, you might be rejected by your peers. Hey, now when you go to work and someone says something, you say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus now. People might say something against you. Paul's saying, listen, I've warned you that when you accepted Christ, persecution was going to happen. As you well know, it's, it's happening. And so we find automatically up front what, where Paul finds joy is sometimes different than you and I find joy. We're finding we're, what's keeping Paul from coming to the Thessalonian church might be different than the American church. The American church who, who when we talk about persecution, we, we talk about being unfriended. So-and-so didn't talk to me. Well, don't, who cares? Like we talk about how someone was mean to us. And it's like, well, they're mean to you because you're a jerk. Not because you love Jesus. Like, we, we don't talk about that aspect. We don't talk about persecution from a standpoint of, I love Jesus and I'm being persecuted. We talk about from a standpoint of like, no, people are persecuting you because you're a mean individual. You don't smile. Paul said, I mean, you want friends? The Bible says, show yourself friendly. So when people are like, I don't have any friends, I'm like, well, I can tell you why. You're just not very nice. Some of you give me that look right now. <laughs> it's like... Oh, man, struck a nerve. Paul's saying, listen, as we get into this, we start seeing, like, what brings Paul joy. And the first thing he says, I give thanks for the Thessalonians' faith. Like, Paul, who's legit in prison and been persecuted, had been shipwrecked, all of these things, when he says, I'm thankful... You would think he's saying, I'm thankful to be alive. I'm thankful for breath in my lungs. He says, no, here's what I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for your faith. Church at Thessalonica, I'm thankful for your faith. And the second thing, which I'll talk about later, is Paul prays that they would, they would still not lack in their faith. So Paul's saying, listen, you have faith. It's incredible. But I'm praying that you, where you lack, that your faith will grow. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, when you prayed and when you became a follower, you didn't arrive. There's some things you still don't understand. There's some things, there's passages of Scripture you're still not getting. So I'm praying where you're lacking. Could you imagine if you start coming up to someone like, hey, I'm praying for where you're lacking. Some people are like, who do you think you are? I'm going to another church. And then you're like, why are there so many churches? Why I just told you why there's so many churches. Because we carry a spirit of offense so easily. Did you hear what he talked about? I'm never going back to that church again. And we quickly move on. There's a lot of stories. Why? Because what Paul's saying is, listen, I don't just give thanks for your faith. I give thanks for the fact that I'm praying for your faith to continue. Because the end goal is that you're standing firm. The end goal is that you make it through. That's the end goal. The end goal isn't to give you warm, fuzzy feelings. The end goal isn't to preach prosperity. Let me get into this, because, man, if we truly care for one another, we're going to rejoice when we hear of others thriving in their faith. Okay, listen, I say this to us all the time. Maybe we need to hear it again. If I can't celebrate with people when they win, I will not have compassion on them when they lose. If I cannot celebrate what God is doing in your life, If I can't celebrate that the Lord just blessed you, 
If I can't celebrate that God is opening doors and you're moving up the ladder, if I can't celebrate, if I can't celebrate those things, why do I think when you're losing at life the same insecurity and why I can't celebrate you, that that insecurity is not coming out when you're losing in life? Because now all of a sudden, I'm glad at your demise. I'm glad when something happened to you. Now all of a sudden, I'm glad. What is that? That's my insecurities, my jealousy, the things that have happened in my life that I blame God for, that I'm not dealt with. I've not dealt with these insecurities. And they come out not in my life, in how I treat other people. It comes out. You want a a litmus test on where we are? Start seeing people around you thrive. Listen, I've had people say things like, man, God's doing some great things. I've heard people say, well, have you, have you seen him around this time? Or have you, well, he also did this. What, what are they doing? They're saying less about me and more about their insecurities. If you can't celebrate when God does something in someone's life, I'll never have compassion on them when they lose. I'm going to actually celebrate when they lose. Why? To feed my insecurity. And Paul, up front, verse 6 This is what he's saying. But now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news. Good news about your faith and love. He reports that you always remember our visit with joy and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. Timothy brought Paul good news about the new converts' faith in God, love for one another. Timothy's telling them, like, this is what's happening. Their faith is growing. They love one another. There's unity. All these things are happening. And Paul says, this is great joy. It it goes back to chapter 1 and verse 8, where he says, listen, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia, but around around the areas. People are hearing about your faith. People are hearing about what God is doing in your life. People are hearing about the testimonies and the stories, all of these things. He's saying, listen, and this is no different from Paul. Paul constantly talks about this. In all of his letters, he always commends them on keep going, their faith. Hey, we want these people standing strong in the end. When they stand before the Lord, we want them to sit here. Well done, good and faithful servant. This is the reason we're praying for you. This is what Paul's talking about. Second thing is I can have joy when I'm going through something because of someone else's Faith thriving. Verse 7. So we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering. Dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. He says, listen, if you're in this room right now and you're going through something, look to a person around you who's thriving in their faith. I mean, I pointed at Jared on in the first service, and I said, Jared on, I'm so proud of the fact that you're sitting in the front row. A year and a half ago, you lost your husband in a tragic car accident, yet you're still standing. Your faith is still thriving. In the middle of your trouble, in the middle of all the things that you were dealing with, you could have gone the other way. You could have thrown in the towel, but you're still standing, and you're sitting in the front row by yourself. I can, my faith is encouraged when I see someone standing strong in their faith. What do we do at times? 
We beat ourselves up. We excuse ourselves. We say things like, oh, I'm just not doing well today, or I woke up on the wrong side of the bed, or I'm just not feeling it today. And yet, we can look at people who are thriving. We can look at people who shouldn't be thriving, yet they are thriving. They didn't stop. They haven't been faithful. And now, all of a sudden, I can be encouraged. He said, we've been greatly encouraged in the midst of my troubles and my suffering. This is what Paul's saying. This is the reason all the things that Paul's going through. And we see this at Corinth. He's put in jail. We can see he's beaten so many times. And yet we see that the Lord shows up in Acts 18. He says, do not be afraid any longer, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no man will attack you in order to harm you, for I have many people in this city. What is Paul doing? The Lord is encouraging Paul in the middle of all that's going on, in the middle of the crazy of life. God is encouraging Paul that he can look around to the people. And even even with the word that he's speaking to himself, to keep going, to keep pushing, to keep moving. And I find great comfort in the fact that Paul needed encouragement. So much at the end of Paul's life, he said, I fought the good fight. Come on, can we say this? I finished the course. And the most important thing, I have kept the faith. Verse 8 says, how I respond to someone's faith reflects what I value most. How I respond to someone else's faith reflects what I value most. Look at verse 8. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. How we thank God for you because of the great joy as we enter God's presence. He says, listen. I mean, picture this. And maybe some of you have heard this. Hey, today you're getting a race. What the? Look at the great joy, right? Hey, today, here's the keys to a brand new car. Oh my gosh, here we go. And that usually happens to like 16-year-olds in Columbia, but whatever. <laughs> Drive through that parking lot, I'm like, why do they have nicer cars than me? Lila's like, what kind of car do I got? I don't know. What kind of car does Libby have? Maybe when she's grounded, you can take it. I don't know. Like, maybe Carson's car. Maybe throw that kid's keys to you. I don't know. It's like, what is going on? Maybe for that. Congratulations, you just won the lottery. Right? It's like, wow, my heart would leap for joy, right? Or maybe you've not seen someone for a long period of time. Maybe you've not seen them since high school. And you see them in the grocery store. You see them out. Man, we're, we're getting on the plane. And my wife is ahead of me. It's southwest, right? And she's ahead of me. And I'm walking in. I'm thinking like, you know, we're going to sit by each other. Crazy thought. My wife. Saving me a seat. I look over and her, one of her best friends from Omaha is on the same flight. And I'm like, what the heck? Why is she here? And does that mean I'm sitting by myself? Or? <laughs> and I was like, how is, like, they here, they're with a group of friends from Omaha on the same flight. We haven't seen them in years. And the whole three-hour flight, I'm waving at my wife, you know, because she's <laughs> sitting next to this friend. And the, as they're catching up. And I see the joy in my wife, hearing the stories, talking about the things that we've missed the last 15 years not living there. All of these things. Why? Because this is what's happening in Paul's life. He's like, listen, I could thank God for all these things over. I could thank God for this, this, and this, but I thank God. I have new life because of the things I'm hearing about. 
in your faith and the journey that you're on. And the, man, it, there's something special when you see someone and they start sharing what God is doing in their life and it rejuvenates your, your soul, it, rejuven- it encourages you. Like it's a test again of where is my heart. If my heart isn't leaping for joy, if my heart is stagnant to the things that they're talking about, the problem isn't with what they're saying. The problem is in my heart. And Paul's going, listen, it gives us new life to know. New life to know that you're standing for him. This is, this is a big test. Setbacks in our lives reveal whether we will trust him or not. And this is ultimately what he's saying. John said it this way in 3 John 3 and 4. Some of, some of the traveling teachers recently returned and made me very happy by telling me about your faithfulness and that you are living according to the truth. I could have no, I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. Another passage says that my children are standing firm in the truth, which I find that, that, that phrase, standing firm, so powerful. It's a military term. It's used to not retreating in the face of an attack. It's to stand firm in the Lord. It implies that, that we are truly in the Lord through faith in Christ and that we are taking refuge in him. Your deepest need becomes a gift when it drives you to depend on God. Like this is the story of people's lives. In this room, are people who have struggled with alcoholism. You've been an alcoholic. You've been a drug addict. But guess what happened with that addiction? It drove you to Jesus. So that addiction now is a gift that God has given you to tell your story of what God has done in your life. And we can celebrate that. We can celebrate what has happened in the past, not glorifying it, celebrating that once you were lost, but now you're found. Celebrating the fact that once you were hurting, but now you're no longer hurting. Once you had no hope, and now you do have hope. Like, we can celebrate that thing as a gift. So many people are afraid to share their story because of the regret and the shame. God says, no, it's a gift because it drove you to me. That's the reason the Bible talks about God, the the woman that you have married has become God's grace to your life. I love that. You know what that means? That means you got something you did not deserve. Listen, if you want to have those romantic nights again, I would say amen. Amen. Yeah, there we go. It's kind of like when you say to your kids, say sorry, and then they say sorry. It doesn't mean as much. Some of you just said amen. She didn't hear you because you had to be told to say it. Come on, fellas. Like, what is going on? Like, maybe that's not important to you, but thank you. (laughs) Somebody's been gone a week. Chris, welcome home. Amazing team. Yeah, amazing team that just went to Arizona. And we can celebrate what God has done in and through you guys. Amen? Hey, listen, listen, listen. So just like first service. Yep, you can celebrate it, but let's not get back to the point. Some of you guys didn't say amen, and your wife's a little mad at you right now. She's God's grace. What is that? You're getting things that you don't deserve based on what you did in your past. That's grace. That's grace. And God has given you that grace. We need to celebrate the fact of what, and listen, hear me right now. People need to hear your story of failure because there's a persona that Christians are perfect. Right? Church is full of hypocrites. 
which is crazy to me because the gym is full of fat people. <laughs> Nobody balks at that, right? <laughs> Nobody walks into the gym and be like, why aren't any of you guys fit? You guys should have more muscle and less jiggle. We don't say that. You know why? But we do it in the church. Why aren't you guys perfect? You're the church. This place is full of hypocrites. And you're welcome. This is where you should be. And people with jiggles should be at the gym. Okay? <laughs> Bad analogy? I thought it was good. <laughs> this is where Paul was getting at. He was saying, listen, a foundation of faith comes through the teaching of God's word. Hear this. Verse 10. As we night and day keep praying most earnestly that we may see your face and may complete what is lacking in your faith. This is the way Paul put it. Paul says, listen, you, you're not complete. There's still lack. There's still some things that you're still learning. And we need to say those things. We need to say like, hey, I've not arrived yet. Like we need to say like, hey, I messed up. We need to say sorry when we do mess up. We need to go to coworkers at times and be like, hey, listen, I had a bad attitude, and I just want you to know, I apologize for that. What does that do for that individual? Well, you didn't have to say anything, but you did, and because you did, they're now wondering, why did they say sorry? They're going to come back to you at some point when they're going through something. They said, hey, there was a time where you said sorry. I want to know where did that come from? It begs the question, why are you different? And this is the problem I have so many times with the church. When we're not different, we're called to be different. We're called to stand out. Actually, the Bible uses the word alien or stranger. We are to be a stranger. And we understand that when we're strangers or when we're aliens, our speech, our conduct always reflects our homeland. So I talk from a standpoint of this is not my home, eternity, heaven is my home, and therefore I speak on eternal behalf. It reflects that. And so when I say I'm sorry... I, it brings humility into my life because that is a very difficult thing to say. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. It is hard sometimes to say sorry. It is hard to say I was wrong. It is hard to say you were right and I'm wrong. That's really hard. What is that? That's coming from an understanding of, hey, listen, I'm not arrived. I'm still working. There is still lack. And this is why Paul is saying, I'm praying for those things that you don't understand. I'm praying for those things that are confusing to you. I'm praying for those things where you need clarity. I'm praying in that area. First and foremost, though, I want to come to you. I want to come to you. If I was to piggyback on what Pastor Sean and Shelley said last week, I would make a sixth S. And that sixth S would be supplication. This is what he says. If we truly care for one another, we will pray for others' continued spiritual growth. Supplication defined is the action of asking or begging for something earnestly. Listen, Philippians 4 says, be anxious for. So why are you anxious? Why do you have something worrying you right now? When Paul's reminder is be anxious, but in everything by prayer and supplication. Listen, what Paul is saying in this moment is there are some things that you can pray about once and you see it. Your meal, maybe you pray for your meal. That's not a time where you're begging. 
And Lord Jesus, would you make this steak vegetables? Would you take this cheesecake with strawberries and make it go down like carrots would? Like, like, that's not, you might pray, Lord, thank you for this food. I pray that you bless this food and that you bless the hands that prepared it in Jesus' name. You might pray that. Okay, that's a prayer. That's not supplication. Supplication is, God, my son, my daughter, they're lost. They're hurting. And God, they're far away. And I, I don't know. I don't know what's going to be the outcome. That's not a one-time prayer. It's I'm going to pray this until I see something change. That's supplication. The, the Bible says in Matthew 7, knocking. It doesn't say you knocked. It says, no, you keep knocking. What is that? That's the persistent widow. That's not taking no for an answer. It's coming back to his promises. God, you said you would save my son. You said that you came to reconcile sinners to the, to the Father. And so, Lord, I'm praying. I'm begging. I'm earnestly coming after you saying, Lord, will you do this in their lives? Because this is your promise. It's not a one-time prayer. It's not a one-time prayer. Oh, you got saved. Yes, Jesus, all right. Now go out. It's no. We got to keep asking. We got to keep talking. We got to open the word. We got to teach the word and what he's saying. It was five years. Read Acts 20. Five years before Paul got back to the church at Thessalonica. So when he says night and day I'm praying, night and day I'm praying that first and foremost I get to see you again. Secondly, that that you would not have any lack in your faith? I mean, this is the kind of prayers that Acts 4 talks about when Peter and John were in, in danger. The religious leaders of Jerusalem were opposing the gospel, and he warned them, stop doing what you're doing. It'd be like right now. Someone comes in and says, listen, that what you're doing right now, meeting in this church, I need you to stop doing it. I need you to not do it next Sunday. I don't need you to do it in small groups. I need you to stop doing what you're doing. And how they responded reflected what they valued. Did that stop them? Did some people not show up? What did he do? He went to the believers. Acts 4 tells us this. They went to the believers and they began to pray. Earnestly. The Bible says that the house shook. They were praying. That was, that was some worship right there. They were getting after it. The house shook. And it says they were filled with the Spirit. And what did they pray? God, we pray that you give us boldness and courage to declare your message. What was that? What they were just told to stop doing, they prayed that God would increase the boldness to keep doing what they were doing. He said, listen, I want to be more concerned with what God says about me than what man just tried to say about me. When they try to shut down things, listen what he's saying. He says, not only that, our prayer should be pure and intentional. This is the, the test for me. You can have your own test, but the test for my life on where I am when I'm praying for someone is can I pray for this individual what I would pray for in my own life and be able to do it? And if I can't do that, then I would say I have a problem with the individual. It's the forgiveness test. Have I, have I truly forgiven the individual so that I can pray a blessing over their life, that God would grow them, that God would speak to them, that God would encounter them? And if I can't pray that for the individual, then the problem isn't with the individual. It might be with me. Like, can I pray over someone for God to show up on their behalf? 
What, what, what is happening with Paul? He says, listen, the prayers are pure and intentional with what I'm saying. Verse 12. Not only that, our prayers have to be focused on the spiritual growth, growth of the person that you're praying for. Verse 12 says it this way. And may the Lord make your love for one another and for all people grow and overflow. Just as our love for you overflows, may he, as a result, make your heart strong, blameless, and holy as you stand before God our Father when our Lord Jesus comes again with all his holy people. Amen. To be without blame in holiness does not mean that we're sinless. It means we're striving for holiness. And so when he prayed for growth, Listen, this has happened, maybe it's happened to you, where you're praying for someone, and in that middle of the prayer, you realize this prayer doesn't make sense. Because I think as American people, as selfish people, our prayer is usually, Lord, get me out of here. I'm in a fire, get me out. And God says, actually, I'm going to keep you there, and it won't burn you. When we're in the lion's den, God, get me out. And he goes, actually, I'm going to just shut their mouths. Stay there. Pet the pretty kitty. You know what I mean? All the cat lovers. That's what he says. There's, there's this conflict when you're praying for someone or you're praying for yourself where God says, what I'm doing to grow you looks a little different than what you would do to grow you. You think growth is getting you out of here. I think growth is keeping you there because in keeping you here, you're leaning on me. Some of you prayed for a new job and God goes, actually, I gave you that job and I want you to stay there. And you're like, God, get me out of here. And he's like, not going to happen. And what is this? This is conflict. It's conflict. And what he's saying is we have to be focused first and foremost on the growth of the person. And so it might be, listen, I know several people who are deaf and a lot of people pray for them that they would hear again. And if you ask those individuals that are deaf, they'll tell you they don't want to hear. They'll say, I want to remain deaf because of the doors that it opens as a deaf person. And so I don't want that. So please don't pray that over me. I want to remain deaf because of the influence that I have. Now, we may not fully understand that. But whatever's happened to us drives us to a place where sometimes we think, does that mean God can't heal? And God goes, no, I can heal, but I'm choosing to grow you in this moment. And we don't see it because his timing is not different. It's a lot different than our timing. And that's what's hard. That's what's hard. Especially when we're harboring things in our heart. Acts 24, he prays this. Because of this, I always try to maintain a clear conscience before God and all people. Before God and all people, I try to keep a clear conscience. What is he saying? I'm not allowing anything that is holding me back to stand in the way of my prayers. So God, first and foremost, it's the reason he says when you're worshiping, right? When you're worshiping. And the Lord brings someone in your mind that you need to forgive. He says, stop worshiping, leave, and go make it right. Why? Because he's saying something is standing in the way, right? 
Something is standing in the way from your growth happening. And because something is standing in the way, you need to deal with that. And then come back and present your sacrifice at the altar. There are things that we haven't dealt with. And Paul ultimately is just saying, gosh, I long to be with you. But more than anything, I pray at the end, you hear, well done, good and faithful servant. More than anything. I'm going to have Casey. She's just by herself on an acoustic. She's just going to sing this over us. First and foremost, because she sings incredible. And secondly, because there's a line of just talking about building our life on a true foundation. And that foundation is Jesus. And so I'm going to invite our prayer partners to come. If you're in this room and you're just like, hey, listen, I'm, I'm dealing with something. I'm struggling. I invite you to stand as well. You stand with me. I invite them. So this is a time. As Casey's singing this over us, you're in this room and you're like, hey, man, I need someone to pray with me. I need someone to agree with me. This is a time that we invite you. We have them all over the floor. And so, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for God bringing us to this place. God, this place where we could be a lot of places, but we're here right now. And so, Lord, we celebrate. We celebrate who you are. We celebrate what you're doing. And, Lord, we just give you our lives. The junk, the mess, the crazy, the questions, the confusion, all those things, we give it to you. And we lean in. And we say, God, we need you. We acknowledge, God, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you come? Would you come?